0: Hey, buddy, do you like to swing? Come with me. You're listening to Emma Clare, the best of all things, swinging at Prohibition Radio. Radio, 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 radio.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the Prohibition Radio Show. I'm Emma Clare. It's June and summer has finally arrived in the UK. It is absolutely gorgeous here today. I hope the sun is shining for you wherever you are in the world. Now, I just need to let you know that if you're expecting the music selection, then you need to head over to YouTube forward slash Prohibition Manchester or Mixcloud forward slash Prohibition MCR. This is a new format. So this show is dedicated to our interview series. This month, we've got the lovely Electro Swing singer-songwriter Alana Lies. She used to front a funk band called Grinny Grandad. Since then, she's gone on to collaborate with artists all the way around the world, including Wolfgang Law, uh, Balduin, Varric Frost. The list goes on. She's got lots of exciting things to talk about. So I'm handing over now to Nanook, and that's all from me. So I hope you enjoy.
2: To England. Yes, in. Hello, mate. Yay, I can hear you. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us.
0: Hi, thank you for having me. You're
2: very welcome, you're very welcome. So, starting from the top, for the listeners that aren't familiar with yourself, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do?
0: Uh, yeah, so my name is Alana Lies, as I'm known uh, in, in the music world. Um, I actually come from the Isle of Man, which is this tiny little place in the middle of the Irish Sea, if anyone's never heard of it. About four or five years ago, I moved over to York um, just to just to be in England, really, just so I was well, with, with my family, so that I was kind of able to have a bit more opportunity, so that we could all have more opportunity, and particularly me with music, because as lovely as the Isle of Man music scene is, it's very hard to take it very far. So, uh, yeah, just... Came over here to be able to pursue it a bit more, really.
2: It's, yeah, it's not the biggest island, is it?
0: No, I think it's about, there's about 90,000 people and you could go end-to-end end in probably about 40 minutes in the car. So <laughs> it was a bit, of a bit of a strange thing when I came to England. I, I thought it was a massive deal when I went to Hull.
2: It's going to be limited uh, opportunities on such a small island. So yeah, I can appreciate why you made the move. So how did the Alana project come about When did that first start and and what sort of inspired you to get interested in music and, you know, start your journey into the music industry?
0: Yeah, it was kind of, I mean, sort of by accident. I mean, I was obviously intending to be doing more with music, but as I said, coming from a really small island, it was like the goalposts are always just moving. Originally, I moved here just thinking, wouldn't it be amazing if I could sing every week and have people actually hear me? Like, I just thought... That was it. I was just going to be going into a pub and that was going to be amazing. And then I kind of, I managed to get in touch with uh, Chris from Grinny Grandad. He was looking for a singer. I was like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. He's from York. So I got into the band. They, you know, they really liked the sound of my voice. That was another massive step up. I was suddenly being able to perform for thousands of people at festivals and events. And then within that, I kind of was able to meet a lot more people. And it's really just kind of grabbing every opportunity. Like I would not be afraid to just go forward and embarrass myself and say, oh, I love your work. Please, 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 can I sing on your track? And I I did that and Baldwin were the first ones who very kindly just took a chance and was like, yeah, sure, go for it, have a sing. And, And so then I did Dizzy and that did really, really well. And I was kind of, they just sort of put my first name on it. They just put Alana. And then it was when I got in touch with Duke Skellington, because I really liked some of his stuff, uh, that they wanted, um, well, he he did a track with me and there was a, a label who wanted to put it on a compilation and they said, what does she want to be called? Like, what's her name? And I was like, oh, God, I, I need like an actual name. <laughs> <So> yeah, <laughs> yeah, just kind of by accident. I just said on my girls group, I was like, what can I be called? I don't really want to be called Alana Cowley. So what can I be called? And yeah, Alana lies. There you go. I don't know why, go. but it is.
2: <laughs> and, that, and that's how it started.
0: That's how it started.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Granny Grandad in there. Who are the members uh-huh. and when, where are they from?
0: If I listed every member that was ever in Granny Granddad, we'd be probably here for about three hours. It's a, it's been a kind of ever-evolving project that was started by Chris, also known as Mo. Um, God, probably about like fifteen years ago. All right. Um, it's gone through so many changes as well. Like, you know, they've had different singers, they've had different members, different musicians join in. And um, I mean, in its current state, there's me as the vocalist. Um. There was uh, Kimberly Kennedy, who's a fantastic vocalist as well. She was in the band and she's had a lot of input on, well, she's, she's written a lot of the tracks, uh, had a lot of releases as well. And they've been, we've had, well, obviously Chris has been there since the beginning. Uh, Johnny, drummer, and we've got Kat on sax. We've got Vinny on sax as well. So many different musicians. It's just been an ever evolving project. Fairly <laughs> that- long list. Yeah, yeah, could go on (laughs) forever. I don't don't think I can even really tell you who is in it right now because it's just like forever changing. Do you know um, what?
2: That's that's quite good in a way, though, because you get an influence of all the different artists, you know, because there are some projects and, you know, it might be one front man or front woman to, to the project. But then when you bring in other artists and they bring in their skills and experiences and influences, it might send the group or the band off on a slightly different tangent that's not necessarily a bad thing you know, you sort of, you know, diversifying and expanding and, you know, I suppose suppose that's one of the reasons why Greeny Grandad has, you know, is quite a unique sound rather than just having been influenced by something really narrow. You've got, you know, broad influence, I guess.
0: Definitely. I mean, Mo, um, his influence is always going to be really strong in the band, obviously. Um, He's very sort of into a lot of electro-funk sort of uh, glitchy sort of stuff as well. There's a lot of like 60s influences a lot heavily, uh, and that's always gonna be really strong. But whenever they've brought in new musicians, whenever we've kind of had different vocalists, that's always had a really big part as well. If you sort of listen to the backlog, it goes for everything from really kind of poppy stuff, really sort of funky stuff. There's some really kind of more R&B sort of inspired things. Yeah. Uh, Kind of rocky 60s stuff um, and then I was kind of more into the sort of swing side so I kind of brought a little bit of that in as well so yeah you can kind of look back and, and see where the vocalists or the musicians have changed because it has kind of had that influence which is yeah it's really good it's it's a really eclectic but fun kind of group of music so
2: I like it I like it so Grinny Grandad are currently with Freshly Squeezed yeah yes um, and yeah. that's Nick Hollywood's label is it not
0: it is indeed, yeah, great guy. How,
2: how did you meet uh, Nick and come to work with him?
0: Well, and Mo knew him originally, really. I think they kind of talked about it for a while because I—I mean, I was only—I only joined the band in, I think, about 2015 or something like that. So it had been, you know, they—they kind of been speaking for a while, I think, and tracks got finished off that Nick really liked. So, and then I remember me, uh, Chris, and Johnny went down to. London uh well near London to meet with them and had a little chat and stuff and yeah just kind of went from there really
2: nice am i correct in thinking that you teach music outside of you know your production you know and an artist and singing career do you you, I do. you, you teach full time
0: yeah i am um, so i've been teaching for about a year and a half with a incredible company called rocksteady music school who it's it's all very much inspire first teach second that's the the sort of motto of the company that nice. trying to inspire young children to just want to play music the the barriers are down don't use sheet music at all it's all like rock music pop music just fun and they only employ people who are kind of professional musicians or um some somebody who's going to be a role model to kids and you know that you can come into school because we go into primary schools uh go into school on a Monday morning and tell them all about the festival you've just been performing at and all these kids are like jaw drop and they just think it's amazing and it, it makes them want to do it so yeah I've been um, been with that uh, teaching with them for a, about a year and a half and also singing to uh, students online um and songwriting and stuff as well so it's re- yeah it's really fun and it's really rewarding to to see the children sort of be inspired by that and and pick up all these things. And they're so talented. Like children have, they're like sponges. (laughs) (laughs) They are so capable of so much. And to be honest, like the kids I've taught, they pick up things 10 times quicker than I ever would. (laughs) Um, Because I think when you're a child, you just do, you just pick up things and you're not afraid. You're not sort of, there's no end game. I think now when I'm learning things, I'm always kind of trying to do it for a purpose. It's like, when you're a kid, it's just, it's just fun. It's like, you know, there's no, there's no boundaries. There's no reason for it. It's just, just to have fun. So yeah, it's nice to kind of go back to that sometimes and just remember that it is fun to make music.
2: <laughs> once once you've been working within the music industry for however long you, you almost have every project's got a, pre- a preconceived outcome that you want, you know, yeah. whether it's going to be like, oh, I'm writing this track because it's going to go on my EP or, I'm writing this track because I'm hoping such and such a vocalist will, will sing mm. on top of it or, you know, there's always something. But those kids, you know, below a certain age or, you know, people that haven't worked within the music industry, there's no preconceptions. Oh, They're not jaded, <laughs> they're just doing it, like you say, because it's fun. It's almost like more artistic in a certain sense because they just want to do it for the sake of doing it. I find yeah. that quite inspiring.
0: Yeah, definitely. And um, And to be honest, I think... I think a lot of me working with the kids the past couple of years has inspired me and to just kind of think about myself a bit more and it's like, go back to having fun and doing it because I want to enjoy it at the time.
2: Nice. You recently posted a cover of uh, Imelda May's Big Bad Handsome Man.
0: Mm, she's fantastic. Yeah, I, you, I love Imelda May.
2: You were playing piano in that, weren't you? I was, yeah. And is, is that something that you've always done? You know, do you play any other instruments? you find sort of influence from...
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I come from a really musical family. My, my dad plays everything and a lot of my family are very musical as well. And we were all, you know, every house we would always have, cause my dad loved to record. He would have a recording studio and he would bring artists in and he would record them. And he was the direct, well, he is the director um, of an art center. So he was always bringing bands over and like, we we're just surrounded by it, just surrounded by musicians all the time. And, um, and so I kind of tried a lot of instruments. And to be honest, I think I was just really lazy. <laughs> I wasn't ne- I could never keep it up. I, you know, the practice, I'd probably get to grade one of every single instrument in the world and just give it up, um, which I definitely don't recommend. Uh, <laughs> not good. It wasn't good. Um, and, but to be honest, it, it made me discover singing more because uh, I got kind of into musical theatre and I loved singing and I loved dancing. And then when I was a bit older, I kind of realized that, you know, I did kind of need to be able to accompany myself a little bit better because I, you know, I wasn't great at any instrument. And so I'd always kind of kept the piano going because it was something that I was always better at out of the instruments. Mm and then I just picked it up again and I started taking uh, jazz piano lessons which was probably a terrible idea because it's really hard um, And I, especially as I didn't really have a very solid branding um, but it, it really pushed me because my teacher would not let me do any chord unless it had like a ninth or a sharp 11 or whatever and so it really pushed knowledge and theory of music and, and got me into more the jazz side but yeah I do um, I also play a bit of drums, guitar that's what I teach with Rocksteady drums, guitar, vocals and piano, well, keyboard, and bass guitar as well. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I would ever play in a band or in anything other than vocals or piano.
2: That that might be an interesting side project <laughs> to see at some
0: point. Yeah, I mean the one man band, one woman band. Sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, ordinarily, I'd ask at some point what your main musical influences were. But to be honest, it sounds more interesting to talk about your dad for a second. There, do you feel that like? having that scenario as you were growing up and having a musical parent was as bigger influence as perhaps some people find you know being exposed to music early and lots of musicians I speak to maybe have got memories of dad chucking a record on and that inspired them like early Motown or whatever do you feel your dad was as much of a big inspiration?
0: Definitely I mean um, he in all ways my dad's been my absolute hero and he'll he'll be crying when he hears that. I'd be so proud. Uh, no, um, no, he's like, uh, there's always been music around. Like my mum is really musical as well. Um, my, all my brothers and sisters are. Yeah, we, we were all really musical. My dad particularly though, he was always in bands. He would always take us to festivals, whether it was because he was playing or just because they wanted to go on a family holiday where they thought, we might all go and enjoy it because we're quite far apart in age. Like I was younger and I had, you know, older teenage siblings. So they, they found that music festivals were a really great place to take all the kids. And um, and so, yeah, we just grew up with it. And we would, um, like my dad used to play at Brittany, um, Lorient Festival. And it still does sometimes. And so like that's massive. And that's like such an experience for a child. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just being surrounded by that all the time. And I'd have, you know, there'd be musicians that would come in and they'd just sort of, you know, they'd just sit down and chat to me like some ridiculous things. Like I was 13 and Robert Plant was just in my house, just, you know, having a beer. And then and like we'd have one of my dad's really, really close friends, Christine Collister. She was so lovely and she's really, really talented. And she said, I remember we sat down for dinner and she was talking to me and I was thinking I was probably about 17. And at this point I could not write music at all. I, I loved singing, but I every time I tried, it just sounded awful. And she said, well, don't give up because if you are serious about this, you have to write original stuff. And it's like something really simple, but just things like that really sort of hit home. And my dad would always reinforce that as well. And he would always try and keep me playing, whether it was singing or playing piano. and." When he, when I was probably about 18, he had quite a serious car accident and it meant that he, you know, he couldn't walk for a long time. So music was his life and he would just be playing all the time. And so the background to my life was just him playing, whether it was accordion or piano and yeah, just, just having that around all the time is always going to be a massive influence.
2: Being, being surrounded by that sort of influence, it can't have uh, not had an impact. You know, that's, that's pretty massive. So moving on after your sort of early influences, when did you get into going out, partying, festivaling, going to concerts yourself to sort of gain inspiration through, you know, the actual music scene, you know, from a punter's perspective?
0: Mm, That's actually quite hard for, when you live on the Isle of Man, it's, there's just hardly anything. No, I mean, there's a lot of um, local talent and there are so many talented musicians. And so I was always going, as I said, like as a kid, always going to festivals. My parents would take us across as like a family holiday. So we'd go to a festival then, but a lot of the time it was just kind of seeing local bands, at uh, open mic nights. They'd have uh, Manx music festivals, which was a lot of kind of folk music, really. But you know, there was quite a lot of blues and jazz as well. They had like a, a monthly blues club, which I loved going to, especially as a teenager. I would go and, and sing there with my dad. But yeah, sometimes they did bring bands over and it was really exciting. It was like people who, no offense if anybody likes them, but I did not very much Snow Patrol. Uh, <laughs> bands like that. It would come over and we'd pay like, Fifty pounds just to see them, just because we'd heard of them. (laughs) Like, um, so yeah, it is. It was hard on the Isle of Man, but there was a lot of local talent, which was good. Um, And then my yearly birthday present would be to go and see a concert in England, which was very exciting. It was, it was a big event when you live in the Isle of Man. It's not something that you just got readily available to just go and see these bands. So it was a really big deal and it wouldn't happen very often, but when it did, it was very exciting.
2: You've hit upon a key thing there that I think when people live, you know, in a metropolitan area or somewhere that's quite congested with music, somewhere like Manchester or London, under normal circumstances, obviously when we're not in a in a lockdown, there's so many gigs on on a daily basis I think some people forget about how awesome it is to just be able to go out on your doorstep and see live music.
0: Yeah, I was always so jealous. It was such a massive deal to just be able to go and see one band a year.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. So obviously I've just touched on a a topic there which I'd like to sort of discuss. We're in a quarantine situation currently with with the pandemic that's occurring and that's sadly obviously had a huge impact on festivals and gigs. From all perspectives, you know, we, we've all had bookings cancelled from an artist's perspective, and then there's obviously gigs and concerts and whatnot that we might have wanted to go to as well. How are you feeling your time through this summer, whereas ordinarily, you know, in the past you've played a, a fairly stacked festival calendar? What are you doing this summer?
0: Yeah, it was actually going to be the busiest summer ever. And um, I think it was as soon as I kind of found out about the the possibility of lockdown and whatever quite quickly in my mind I just accepted that nothing was going to happen and hopefully that's not true but it's best to try and switch to the mindset that nothing's going to happen and anything else is a bonus so I've actually dealt it quite well considering it was so many things was, was supposed to be happening but yeah just kind of actually really enjoying having the time to focus on my own music. I do not think I would have really sat down at a piano and just written as much as I have uh, if if I, you know, was had so many other busy things to do and was at work and whatever. But also, just, you know, I've got an eight-year-old, that's pretty much taking up my entire day. <laughs> so, yeah, um, but enjoying sort of having the time with him because the stuff that he learns at school, I have no idea. Like, you know, he goes off and he comes home and he can't even remember what he said for lunch, so... It's been quite nice to to know what he's learning and um, and to kind of be a part of that.
2: Been homeschooling as well and getting involved in his his lessons and whatnot.
0: Oh yeah, I am going to be the parent that every other parent hates. Like, you know, I've been very committed to this homeschooling. <laughs> yeah, I think my son is um is wonderful, but if if he thought there was an even a chance that he didn't have to do it, he wouldn't do anything. So I have been very, very strict.
2: <laughs> Good on you. So I've just been having a quick browse before we before we spoke or before we jumped on this call, and I was having a look at your Spotify. You're pretty mm-hmm. active on Spotify. You get like 20,000 plus listens a month, which is awesome. And you've just started yeah. your Alana analyze jukebox, haven't you?
0: Yeah, I that was really just because... Um, <laughs> yeah previously it was like hundreds, but you know Wolfgang law he's an absolute gem. I would never ever say anything but amazing things about him and um he he did something that really I don't think I've ever seen when he released a couple of tracks I think it was it was just the the Rifkin ones that um me and Rifkin worked on together. He listed me as an and rather than a featuring and and I've seen that he's done that. With obviously with the producer's permission, for a couple of vocalists. And I think that's like a really massive thing to recognise the vocalist as such a massive part of the songwriting and to, to list them, yeah, not as featuring is, is huge. And it means that we're then listed and uh, linked to through the track so people can directly go to our Spotify, uh, which is, yeah, massive and obviously had a massive impact because it's gone from about, uh, I don't know, like 400 to, yeah, 20,000. Uh, 20, so, yeah, really like, honestly, I, I'm really grateful to him for that. And I think, I think that it's wonderful and in a lot of ways, quite right. You know, vocalists do put a lot in and I think probably more than some people realise, like, obviously, I can't even fathom the work that producers put in but also you know vocalists put a lot as well and we work really hard and kind of give give away stories that are really quite personal <laughs> so yeah i think it, i think it's wonderful that he's sort of helped vocalists out as
2: well i think that recognition is you know that he's given through that act is is for me personally that would be just as important as the the hits you know on spotify so obviously it's nice to know people are listening to your stuff and you're getting that exposure as an artist what you want is for people to listen but Mm. you know to have someone who's as big in the industry as as wolfgang is to to recognize you as a mutual artist as a producer that's got to be quite nice eh
0: yeah, it's it's really nice, and um, you know, and he's such a nice guy and such a talented producer as well. That um, yeah, it's I I'm very fond of him. He's very uh, an, an incredible guy, really.
2: That, that's awesome. And I think um, that leads quite nicely onto a topic that might be contentious for some, but I'd hoped to, to to discuss, and that's mm-hmm. the attitudes towards female artists in the industry now. As a DJ, producer, promoter, etc myself, one bugbear that I've always had is what I call sort of like token feminism, which is mm-hmm. yeah. when, you, when you see people do like all-female lineups at club nights mm-hmm. and things like that, and it's just to make a feature of the fact that, well, we can get six female DJs on a lineup, not, yeah. actually, not actually booking them for their artistic merit.
0: Yeah, I think ultimately, I mean, you know, I can't speak for all women, but certainly I would always want to be there for value, not yeah, not for being token. And also, like, some people can kind of, you know, they think, oh, well, I'll put on one female night and then that's kind of, you know, my work done and I don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> it's like, no, well, no, it should be a constant thing. It should be constant. You should be always looking for the best DJs, whether they're male, female, whatever, or they're the best artists, the best vocalists. And yeah, we should be trying to you know support female artists more because it is really hard and particularly producers there's it's so male dominated but in you know all areas of music really and so the you know the more we can support them the better but at the same time nobody wants to feel like that token person you know you want to be there for the hard work that you're doing
2: and booked on booked on your own merit you know
0: exactly no i think it's it's really important you're there because you work hard for it whether you're male or female
2: 100 percent agree 100 percent agree and do you think that that's an attitude that's gradually changing within the industry and do you think we're on the right track or do you think there's more that we can be doing as right the way from punters to artists to you know promoters to producers do you think there's more that we can be doing collectively to be ensuring that artists are booked on their merit rather than on their you know gender or sexuality or how they look or you know anything sort of more superficial like
0: that I think there's always more that we can do I think you know it it just has to be a constant kind of evolution and always as long as people are always striving to to you know be better and try harder and I don't think we should ever be complacent we should never just kind of give up and think yeah yeah that'll do that's fine Uh, (laughs) as I said you know just because you'd put on a female night it doesn't mean that you're done like you know 100% agree should always keep going and always keep trying harder i think if you do if you do look at uh, a list of djs producers artists it is really male dominated and um hopefully you know it is getting better there are more females rising through more female producers more female artists and yeah and i think as i said like things like recognizing vocalists because you know as a as an equal part is is really incredible and very very commendable
2: I like that. I like that. So as a female artist, I mean, because you're you, looking at the music industry from a few different angles, obviously, as a music teacher, as a vocalist, as a producer in your own right, obviously, you've got solo work coming coming up. What challenges have you faced that seem to be across the board, regardless of what angle you are in at the industry?
0: I think that personally i've always felt to be honest i've probably my own biggest challenge i think i've always n- not seen myself as as valid as a lot of others i think as a as a female when you know when you go and perform in a band i always get kind of snidey comments from So, you know, some people are lovely, some people not so much. (laughs) Um, You get some pretty, yeah, you get some pretty, pretty inappropriate comments. As the vocalist, you always kind of assumed that you don't know anything other than how to open your mouth. And, uh, and so, yeah, you kind of, everyone else gets left to it. And, you know, you get some pretty condescending offers to, you know, help change the mic stand height and things. (laughs) So I can, I can manage things. Um, but yeah, so I think it's really, there is unfortunately still some kind of stereotypes. I think that's probably the the biggest thing, but also from that, I've always kind of felt like I wasn't as, you know, if I wasn't as technical, then I wasn't as worthy in the music industry and things like that. And I, again, been really nice to kind of just take a step back and just sit at a piano and and seeing the the merit of your own work that, you know, just because you're not doing something that others are doing. It doesn't make it any less, any less valid. So, yeah, so sometimes I think I can be my own worst enemy with it. I, I, think, we can, we, I think we
2: can all be our own worst enemy. Yeah. It.
0: <laughs> it really answer your question there, didn't I? I was kind of more just talking about things. Uh, no,
2: it was, it, it, was a, it was a perfectly valid answer, <laughs> perfectly valid. And I think you hit on a key word for me, which is that sort of stereotypes, you know, Regardless of whether it's a, a gender stereotype or a lead singer stereotype, as you just mentioned there, you know, assuming that the only thing you know how to do is is sing, that's a that's a sort of bugbear of mine. You know, it's, it's basically the epitome of judging a book by its cover, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and I think I think a lot. To be honest, probably a lot more uh, female artists and female DJs uh, and producers are probably more have have had a lot more of that. I I've actually been really quite lucky. Um, you know, I have had obviously stereotypes when I'm singing and and you know people sort of reacting a little bit negatively but in general I've actually been very lucky with the people that I've worked with mostly male I to you know I sought out Emma Clare because she was a great female producer you know I really loved the work that she was doing and it's I think it is important to be supporting female artists but I am really lucky that the You know, everyone, male and female, that I've worked with has been really lovely and that's never really been an issue. So yeah, I think I've personally been very lucky, but I'm sure that a lot of female artists have struggled probably a lot more than I have.
2: Yeah. Have you ever come across anything that's openly and aggressively sexist? I mean, I've I've heard some scenarios of people being refused opportunities based on gender. Is that anything that you've ever come across in regards to you know, being a female producer and singer songwriter, and
0: I've never actually been refused anything um, because of gender, but I've certainly had a lot of uh, a lot of sexism <laughs> directed my way. But it's it, it's more kind of very inappropriate. But it does it it really does push you on, though. I mean, you know, it's never going to be a positive, but I think it you really have to try and turn it into something else and learn from it, and then. Um, you know, I mean, not just in the music industry, in just life. I, as have so many, have experienced a lot of negative feedback and energy from people because of my gender. And it took, you know, I I always kind of grew up with that mindset. You know, I just would accept it and would feel that way about myself as well. And it took me a really, really long time to, to accept that that wasn't okay. And a lot of the music that I'm doing now is really is really quite strongly influenced by that.
2: Those sorts of scenarios whereby, you know, perhaps people have said something inappropriate or I find that over a period of time, and this is something I've witnessed with, you know, lots of friends within the industry, over a period of time, comments like that can have quite an insidious effect or impact on people's self-confidence, on people's you know, it's almost like you're gradually gaslighted into believing a certain thing that's not necessarily true, you know. You can start developing, like, imposter syndrome, you know, of, like, am I really good enough to be here on this stage in front of all these people? And I think that's something that young artists aren't always aware of, is, like, the impact that, you know, it is a tough industry, isn't it?
0: It is. It's really tough. And, like, everything you said, absolutely true. This time is a... Like, you know being in lockdown you do kind of uh, you look back and consider a lot of things and i think a lot of people are kind of reflecting on a lot of things and i particularly you know i'm not afraid to talk about now that you know i had a really pretty tough time i had to have a lot of therapy because through years and years of feeling that way and feeling like partly that i wasn't good enough that i was never going to be as good as other people that I, as a female, didn't really have a voice. It didn't really, it took a long time to, to see that that's not true at all. And if I could say anything to, I mean, any artist, but particularly the sort of emerging female artists, is that try and figure that out sooner. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> you know, nobody is ever gonna have any control over you. You're the only person that can control yourself. Just, yeah, just try, try and see that that's not you. That's how. Other people may view you and you can't do anything about that and that's a horrible thing but you can do something about how you feel about yourself
2: that's that's really good advice and I think that for me having an opportunity to talk about this is great and one thing that I'd probably add to that from my own experience within the music scene is it's important to be aware that that's a thing first and foremost Mm -hmm. before you before you start maybe coming to the scenario whereby you can deal with it and whether it's through therapy or just even talking to friends about it young artists who are perhaps a little bit like you say emergent but they might be naive of the wider scene and the implications of it as a whole they might not be aware that that sort of emotional state and the emotional stresses that artists can go through is a thing and Mm. you know and being being aware of it in my opinion is the first step you know to to then being able to grow yourself and become more self-aware and to be you know develop as an artist because I think that can influence you massively, you know, going through those scenarios. and On your Facebook page, you've posted pictures and you mentioned your photo shoots that you've done, like wearing glitter and whatnot. But there's also been times like your Imelda May cover, which is just you sat in your glasses, not overly done up, just being you naturally. Do you think it's important to show sort of both sides of, of your personality or multiple sides of your personality rather?
0: Yeah, I think I think from a personal point of view, it's nice um, for people to see that you are human. <laughs> like you know, it, I think you can you can try. Sometimes you put on a bit of a persona, and particularly like like with the sort of Lana thing, it's very much a sultry, like very like towards that sultry feel. But at the same time, I don't want people to think that that's like who I am because I'm actually a big dork. And like,
2: there's, there's more I, to you than that. There's more to yeah. you than glitter and glam shots.
0: Yeah, like, I, completely. I I was not girly. Like, I the reason I had to be done up by a makeup artist is because if I did it myself, I'd look like a, a monster. I think it's really important in general, like, that people don't see the standard as, you know, this as done up and, you know, in fancy clothes or whatever and with your hair perfectly in place and whatever. Like, it should be that you can look however you want and it's fine, like... I'm lucky enough to be married to someone who will, you know, tell me that I'm beautiful, whether I look like, in my opinion, a monster or not. <laughs> um, and and I think that that's how the world should view everybody that, you know, it doesn't matter. I, I can be one to talk because, you know, I do, I take off my glasses and I put on contacts and I put on fancy makeup and whatever, when I'm doing a photo shoot, because it's how I sort of see that I look my best, I guess, but yeah, it, it should, it shouldn't be that way. It, I, I should feel comfortable to go out in sweats and, and uh, glasses and whatever. But I think you know, it, it, I'm certainly getting more confident and comfortable in that. And I hope that, uh, that generally the world is getting more comfortable and accepting of of any visual.
2: I've I've got full respect for that. From on a personal note, I've got I've got full respect for that. You're not feeling like like I just use that ML May cover as a, as an example because that was the most recent one that I saw I've mm. got full respect for people that can just put themselves out on social media and not constantly feel the need to be done up and say look yeah of course I'm gonna have my hair done of course I'm gonna have a bit of makeup of course I might pick a new outfit if I'm on stage if I'm going to mm. be doing a, a, a photo shoot for some album artwork or something but I think new artists to the industry need to perhaps appreciate, and, and your examples earlier are perfect, that there is more to, to life. Sometimes social media can drag people into thinking that life is one big photo shoot,
0: yeah, and, it's just, and, and
2: it's just not the case. Um,
0: I think it's really important for sort of more well-known artists as well to kind of push that because that's who people are looking to, and if they just see perfectly Photoshop people, then they, they're always going to you know hold that as their Standard, what they're striving towards, and and again, like for the sort of male, female thing, like if men see that all the time, or women, or whatever, they're always going to see that as as what beautiful is, or what should what people should look like, and and we should be trying to put out more images of every size, color, whatever you know, that everything is beautiful.
2: Yeah, hundred percent, and I think that it's important as well. I mean. From my perspective, the example that always stands out the most is, you know, you get sort of stereotypes of image. So like DJ promo shots within the techno scene, it's always like black and white, moody looking, you know, photo shoots within the electro swing scene. There's always like an element of vintage or, you know, like a Mm. headdress or something. And it's like, you can enjoy that music without fitting into that pigeonhole.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I think nobody should ever try and be pigeonholed by anything, where, uh, as we said earlier, whether it's the kind of music you're doing, whether it's, um, you know, how you look or whatever. Like, I went to the last photo shoot I did, uh, the photographer was, uh, he, made, he made a joke and he said like, because I was kind of laughing and smiling, he was like, aren't models supposed to be just looking miserable and pouting? <laughs> like, I am not a model, okay? I will look how I want.
2: <laughs> perfect, perfect. So we're going to just quickly change angle here and we're going to have a few questions from some of our fans. We've got one from Mr. Francis Alford, who's a regular at our parties, quite often comments on social media as well. He's asked, how did you find playing at Beat Herder Festival with Grinny Grandad? And any stories to tell there?
0: Oh, it was really fun. Yeah. um, As I said, it was like... Gritty Grandad was kind of the stepping stone into the music industry for me and it it was like nothing I'd ever seen before because you know I I'd gone to festivals as a kid and but I, I never dreamed that I would ever be able to perform at any festival never mind like one as was cool and great as we heard it and it's just it's just such a fun festival i think um you know all the little touches like the hidden swimming pool which i still have never got into which i'm very sad about uh, i know I
2: where it, it exists
0: <laughs> know, i've seen i've seen so many pictures I know where it is like as far they're, as all,
2: they're all staged before <laughs> and
0: <laughs> oh, oh that's really upset me though. <laughs> no um, so yeah it's just like it's such a good festival and it's so much fun and um yeah being able to perform on on the main stage particularly was was so much fun and just like having because like we we've gone through a lot of different uh lineups as i said and it was really fun when there was loads of us There was about seven of us in our biggest lineup um so really filling the stage but then even when there was only three of us uh, it was really fun to just have the space to just jump around and run around and and see everyone's faces out in, in the in the fields, just having fun. Yeah, it was an incredible experience. Experiences, I should say. Um, fantastic,
2: fantastic. Fun that
0: we're really going to miss this year.
2: It's a shame, obviously, the festival scene's been impacted, but, you know, hopefully that won't have been your last opportunity to play Beat Herder. I'm sure they'll have you back at some point.
0: Yeah, they... They've, uh, they've always been really supportive of Bridie Grandad. Very, very, very fun festival. Oh, and this, the only story I can think of actually is, um, I, I think it was, was it last year? I think it was last year or the year before. We were playing on the Sunday. So I was thinking, oh great, I've got ages and shoved my face into a big bucket of aloe vera gel and then shoved my face into the next big bucket of glitter and then had to do the rest of the weekend like that
2: (laughs) (laughs) good skills good skills we've got a quick question from David McLean that's just come in I've got a suspicion you've answered this earlier talking about your father a little bit but um let's slant it a little bit he asks who are your main influences so I guess um Let's have a talk about your main musical influences. Give us your top three.
0: Okay. Well, firstly, David McLean. You are one of my influences. That is my data. Oh yeah. <laughs> it? There my you go.
1: Dad.
0: Honestly, no, my number one fan. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, biggest. Okay. Top three influences. Uh, the, the different oh,
2: surname God, threw me there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm. That was my maiden name. <laughs>
2: ah. There we go. <laughs>
0: Really weird actually because my dad owned a pharmacy called Cowley Pharmacy and then I happened to marry a Cowley, so it was on.
2: Obviously-
0: wow. I know, it was weird. That's the <laughs> old man. Everyone just knows each other. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Uh, top top three inferences. Uh, um, well, I, I would have to say Billie Holiday because, like, when I heard her saying it, just basically changed my life. To be honest, I had never really fully got into kind of. Jazz, blues, swing, any, anything like that. Um, until quite a lot later in my teen years, because I'd I will hold my hands up and say that I was very pop influenced. I loved just like EDM and would love show music as well. <laughs> um, Changed quite a lot. Um, But yeah, and then I kind of got into that more uh, with my dad. My dad introduced me to Billie Holiday and I heard it and I was like, how have I never heard this angel?
2: Absolutely awesome voice. But I can't help every time I hear the name, think of that scene in the film Clueless. Have you seen it?
0: Yeah, I love the film Clueless. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> and he goes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put some Billie Holiday. Do you, do you mind? And uh, and she goes, Yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, I love him. <laughs> Go on influence number um, two.
0: Oh, okay. Um, it's really hard because I think I'm constantly just listening to new artists. That I'm like, Oh, they're my hero now. Um, whereas you know, five minutes ago it was someone else. Uh, I for the kind of sort of sultry R&B vibe I would have to say The Weeknd I love him I think like I think his his work is incredible and actually as much as some of it yeah it is kind of again that sort of female stereotype some of it is actually quite quite <laughs> vulnerable like the um one of the songs is, is really like quite a desperate song and and it's kind of flipped it the other way around like it's he's very much in the vulnerable position and there's this woman who could quite easily drop him and and he's just so desperate for her that he would just take one more night he doesn't even care if she doesn't love him anymore just he's just so desperate to just be with her one more time and it's like it's really sad and tragic but very vulnerable song and yeah I just just really like that sort of sultry, dark R&B feel as well. So, yeah, I would say him. And hopefully we're going to be out of the lockdown because I'm supposed to be seeing him in October.
2: Fingers crossed, yeah. Go on, third and final one.
0: Uh, oh, um, I think I would have to say... Oh, can I combine two? <laughs> Caravan Palace, I've always loved. Like, I know it's a, a classic one for the electro swing scene, but I just, just think they're... Production is incredible. I think their songs are amazing and kind of always sort of pushing the boundaries of it as well. It's not... A lot of the stuff isn't really typical electro swing at all and it it does kind of genre hop with a lot of different things. There's a lot of like mm. hip-hop influences, all sorts really. Like I think they're incredible. Um, and also I love uh, the Jotty Moonshine big band. I think when I heard them, it kind of blew my mind as well with the, um, the Most Wanted album and I saw... Their latest tour just before the lockdown came in in Manchester, and they were just unbelievable. And all the new stuff is cracking as well. So yeah, I I love them again, really pushing boundaries. And I love sort of like really dirty bass music and like more sort of grime influenced stuff. And I, mm-hmm. I I particularly love the the Tommy and Loretta song. Like it's it, to be honest, it's probably not my my like standout track from the album when i heard it i loved it but there was other tracks that i thought oh that's my favorite but it's such a kind of cinematic song and i think it's it is quite a different side to to a lot of their tracks again quite a sort of sultry but really quite tragic song and with with a massive backstory so yeah i really like like that as well. I've
2: been been lucky enough to support um, the Butty Moonshine big band a couple of times and I think for anyone who's listening yeah. that hasn't seen their live show as soon as you get an opportunity to you, you need to because it's fantastic it's energy and you know it's yeah, it's definitely worth seeing and, and listening the next best thing obviously with the live show is not currently happening, get their album
0: yeah definitely
2: quick fire round, we've got a couple of questions here no thinking wine bear or spirits
0: Oh, wine, rosé. I'm only I'm drink nothing else.
2: Well, you've answered second one there, which is which one?
0: Rosé, 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 cocktails. That's actually, yeah.
2: What's your musical guilty pleasure?
0: Ah, uh, um show music. I still love it. I would happily <laughs> go and watch Wicked for like the fourth time.
2: <laughs> there we go. There we go. Three things that you'd never go to a gig without
0: um i would never go to a gig without i guess some heels because i'm really short and i would never see it <laughs> um, contacts because my glasses would just slip off because i get too sweaty and oh to a really tough question
2: there you go it's there's I, something I, I you can only have the to name too like, if you want <laughs> I think
0: I get quite, uh, quite minimalist to a gig. I try, try not to have too much on me because I want to be able to like, jump around and go a bit mental.
2: I like that. Just to wrap up now, I mean, you've done a bunch of releases. I mean, I was having a look through the discography and I'm sure there's going to be names here that I've missed. So if any of those people are listening, please don't take offense. But you've done stuff with Riff Kitten, you've done stuff with Wolfgang Love, Eric Frost, Prohibition Leading Lady Emma Clare, Dozens of artists that you've worked with in one capacity or another, of course, Granny Grandad in in all its incarnations and, and whatnot. What's next for you as an artist? Can we expect more collaborations? Have you got stuff of your own that you brew in? When can we expect that?
0: I'm never going to stop collaborating with other artists because whether I'm doing my own stuff or not, it's always, well, firstly, it's really fun and it's really nice to just be like bouncing off other ideas and, And particularly, you know, if, if a producer always already sort of has like the skeleton of a track ready, um, you can kind of sort of think, Oh, that's really cool. And like get a bit of ideas. And then maybe you say like, Oh, but what if you just arrange it in this way? Or what if you add this there or whatever? Uh, And it's really fun. And also I have learned so much from working with other incredible producers, that I would never have learned if I was just sat in a bedroom, like trying to do it myself. So yeah, I'm, I'm always going to be collaborating with new people. I've, had a list about like 20 people long that I've been gradually ticking off through the lockdown. Um, <laughs> I end up. Um, So yeah, so there's, yeah, there'll be plenty more um, coming out soon over the course of the year. And um, yeah, I'm working on my own music as well. As, as I sort of said, it's kind of the fun that I'm, I'm just, just enjoying making it. And like, so yeah, there's no kind of timeline on, on my own stuff really, but I have got plenty of, Plenty of stuff brewing that I'm, I'm really, really excited about and I'm really proud of. Um, and and I think we can't, we can't wait person. to hear it. Thank you.
2: So is there anybody out of those list of people, that I just sort of mentioned people that you've collaborated with and whatnot, anyone who sort of you want to give a quick shout out to that you're going to be working with over the next few months?
0: Oh, well, Riff Kitten, we've done some more stuff together. A few of his tracks that I've put vocals onto which should be out this year. Uh, and he's he's also been helping me produce some of my own stuff as well. Atom Smith is not one of the ones from the, the previous list, but there's some some stuff cooking there as well. God, I, I need to look at my to-do list because I've like honestly forgotten everything.
2: Atom Smith being from Gentleman Callers of LA. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah he's the, an awesome, awesome producer as well. Um, people oh,
2: are familiar, check their stuff out.
0: Yeah, near their race. Uh, Wolfgang Law as well. We've got a new track coming out soon. LVDS that uh, I did the Am I Real song with. We've got a sort of more more kind of chill sort of jazz influence track that will come out uh, probably over the next month or two. Um, I can't even remember. Basically, 20, 20. <laughs> basically
2: your listeners have got a lot to be going at over the next sort of six yeah. or twelve months. That's awesome. Yeah. There'll be plenty
0: of stuff.
2: <laughs> well listen, it's been an absolute joy talking to you. I think at some point we'll have to do an, an in conversation with 'cause I could probably stay Natarin for about another five hours. But sadly, no, I always
0: carried away and just go off on tangents. But...
2: <laughs> no, likewise, likewise. I think we've uh, you know, we've we've talked about loads of interesting stuff and it's been a pleasure. So thank you for your time. Oh, thank yeah. you for having me. We will link below in the comments all your social media. For those listeners, make sure you check it out. Make sure you support Alana Lies on Facebook and Spotify especially. Support your artists. And, uh, yeah, thanks for your time.
0: Thank you very much.
2: Catch you soon, mate. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Find us on
0: Facebook, whatever that is, facebook.com, Prohibition MCR.